How Hollywood destroyed itself. They can't make movies for people they don't understand. Houston, we have a problem. Now that COVID is long gone and studios are putting out blockbusters again, it almost seems like things are back to normal. Yet movie after movie keeps underperforming, which is a polite way of saying Hollywood movies are bombing at the box office. Why? Well, I don't have to tell you why. You know why. Everyone knows why, except the people tasked with covering Hollywood, who are too afraid to say why. You can't fix a problem you can't name. In a recent poll, 42% cite movies getting worse as the main reason they no longer pay to see them. Why have they gotten worse? Because Hollywood swapped great storytelling for franchise movies long ago. Then they transformed those franchise movies into agenda delivery devices. The latest casualty is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which cost upwards of $300 million and flopped. As of this morning, it's looking at a haul of just $120 million for two weeks. But by far the worst offenders are the two leads. I actually had second-hand embarrassment for Harrison Ford, watching him laboring away on screen in a movie that clearly resented his very presence. Make no mistake, this is not the Indiana Jones that any of us remember. This absolute imposter is timid, gullible, naive, sad, depressed, weak, cowardly, clueless and incompetent. I am fucking sick to death of these absolute brainlets posing as writers whose only possible outcome to getting older is turning into a depressed, lonely failure who's given up on life. How is it possible for a studio to hate the very characters that allow them to exist in the first place? And this being a Disney Lucasfilm movie, there's obviously an obligatory strong female character shoehorned into the story, trying desperately to leech off the popularity of the legacy character they're supposed to replace. And of course, she's smarter and stronger and more resourceful than him. Of course, she wins every argument and gets proven right about everything and saves the day multiple times. Because what else could she possibly be in a modern Disney movie? The problem, though, is that the script has no idea what to do with her or what kind of person it really wants her to be. Is she a cold and callous mercenary? A compassionate and loyal friend? A seductive femme fatale? A lovable con artist trying to scrape by? A quirky joker? The movie doesn't know so it tries to make her a bit of everything, with no real overarching trajectory or motivation, and the results are as meandering and pointless as the rest of the movie. It doesn't really help that Phoebe Waller-Bridge doesn't have the acting range or the qualities needed to play a character like this. She's not charismatic enough to be an adventurer, she's not charming enough to be a rogue, she's not attractive enough to be a femme fatale, and she's not funny enough to be comic relief. She throws punches with all the finesse and expertise of Boogie in his first boxing match, and she a film produced outside of Hollywood, Sound of Freedom, has now made around $40 million in one week, which ties it with the Jennifer Lawrence comedy, No Hard Feelings, in its third week. People are willing to turn out to see movies if the story is good enough. Here is Critical Drinker on The Sound of Freedom. It seems like almost nothing is inspiring people to go to the movies these days. But then along comes a little low-budget movie like Sound of Freedom that I can honestly say I knew precisely nothing about until a few days ago, which seems to have ignited some kind of firestorm in the public consciousness and capitalised on the gaping hole left by Dial of Destiny's implosion, resulting in massive overperformance at the box office and a flood of emails practically demanding that I watch it now. Well, never let it be said that the drinker backs down from a challenge. And guess what? Sound of Freedom is really 
fucking good. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that it deserves the hype and praise that it's been getting, managing to tackle some pretty brutal subject matter in a sensitive and restrained way that never feels exploitative, delivering some excellent performances from a talented cast that don't overshadow their roles, and a storyline that feels neatly grounded in the true events that it's been based on. In short, it's exactly what you'd want in a movie like this, keeping you gripped and tense right until the end, and almost never descending into the kind of extravagant Hollywood tropes that often derail true stories like this. So what the hell, let's dive right in and summarize the- For now, audiences have become wary of spending their time and money only to get woked. Getting woked means you trust the studios to deliver a good movie that meets expectations, not one that foists an ideology upon you that you may or may not go along with. It's a transgender character suddenly appearing in a film about conservative Mennonite women escaping sexual assault, women talking. Maybe it's a movie that kills off a traditional male icon to replace him with a female. Star Wars, No Time to Die, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Or maybe formerly glamorous female icons like Charlie's Angels have now been stripped of their sexuality. Or maybe it's all that LGBTQIA ideology suddenly making an appearance in kids' movies like Lightyear and Elemental. And just like that, you're taken out of the story. That is what is called getting woked. It's one thing to know it's there. It's a whole different thing to have it sprung on you after you've invested a hundred bucks for a family of four. Those at the top don't need movies like the rest of us do, especially now in troubled times. They don't need unity only a universal story can provide. They don't need movies to save their lives, as they did mine. What they need is absolution from their sins of wealth and privilege. As long as they pay the piper, they can escape the wrath of the thought police. It's your problem, they insist. The best thing they can offer you is an invitation to change. Jennifer Lawrence's no hard feelings should have set the box office aflame. At the moment, it has limped to a soggy 40 million. The old Hollywood understood that the most important job of a movie star is to not alienate your audience. But Lawrence, like so many in Hollywood, broke that rule by becoming more politically left. In an interview with Vogue, quote, I just worked so hard in the last five years to forgive my dad and my family and try to understand. It's different. The information they are getting is different. Their life is different, end quote. And she's having this identity crisis because her Kentucky family voted for Trump and watch Fox News. And as a good Puritan, she's expected to shun them. Now that Lawrence's sneer spread from one side of the country to the other, why would she assume anyone would want to pay to see her in a movie now? Hollywood can't make movies for an America they do not understand. They certainly can't make movies for people they detest. It is unseemly to see so many of the richest people in the world position themselves as morally superior to the people who have been their bread and butter for decades. Yet, that's what's happened when half of America betrayed them by voting for Trump. The entire industry, along with corporate America, took a side, and that side was to demonize half the country as racists. We've slipped into a two-tiered society where half the country has been pushed out unless they're willing to comply enthusiastically with the new woke order. Sporting events, concerts, even advertising, all must be in strict compliance to signal their virtue or else. The Top Gun Maverick Phenom The first murmurings of the failing box office was when Steven Spielberg's West Side Story opened during Oscar season and fell flat. 
How could this be happening, we all wondered. Even the Wall Street Journal's Peggy Noonan ruminated on this slow-rolling catastrophe. West Side Story, The Decline of the Movie Theater, the remake is wonderful. Its poor performance at the box office suggests streaming is here to stay. Top Gun Maverick soared to $800 million, blowing a hole through every excuse offered up by critics and journalists. Word of mouth revealed two things. It was good and it wasn't woke. Streaming hadn't killed movies. Movies weren't dead. Maybe the target demo for West Side Story was the kind of people who still wear masks outside. But that's what's called building your house of straw and not bricks. To quote Indiana Jones, they were digging in the wrong place. Top Gun Maverick was a movie out of a bygone era, with a screenplay written in 2012, production resuming in 2017, after the death of its original director, Tony Scott, and slated for release in 2019. COVID delayed its release for a couple of years. That's how the movie escaped The Great Awakening, and why it was such a breath of fresh air for a weary world. Here's a scene from Top Gun Maverick. 30 plus years of service. Combat medals, citations. Only man to shoot down three enemy planes in the last 40 years. Distinguished, distinguished, distinguished. Yet you can't get a promotion, you won't retire, and despite your best efforts, you refuse to die. You should be at least a two-star admiral by now, if not a senator. Yet here you are. Captain, why is that? It's one of life's mysteries, sir. This isn't a joke. I asked you a question. I'm where I belong, sir. Well, the Navy doesn't see it that way. Not anymore. These planes you've been testing, Captain, one day, sooner than later, they won't need pilots at all. Pilots that need to sleep, eat, Take a piss. Pilots that disobey orders. All you did was buy some time for those men out there. The future is coming, and you're not in it. Escort this man off the base. Take him to his quarters. Wait with him while he packs his gear. I want him on the road to North Island within the hour. North Island, sir? Call came in with impeccable timing, right as I was driving here to ground your ass once and for all. It, it galls me to say it, but for reasons known only to the Almighty and your guardian angel, you've been called back to Top Gun. Sir? You are dismissed, Captain. The end is inevitable, Maverick. Your kind is headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today. What does this film do right? Everything. It tells a good story where the hero saves the day and gets the girl. That's not complicated. It's filled with humor, excitement, and so much fun that you want to return to see it again. 
but most of all, it met and surpassed all expectations because it gave the audience what they wanted, not what Hollywood thought they should want. Critics of the film, and there weren't many, wrote it off as state propaganda. It could be argued that Top Gun, like so many pro-America movies throughout Hollywood history, does sell American exceptionalism, not to mention the military. Whether you think that's good or not is up to you, but the bottom line was this. They asked audiences to trust them with their hard-earned money and their limited time, and they delivered on that promise. Now we know for sure that if a movie is good enough, compelling enough, people will come, Ray, from Field of Dreams. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Ray. The gender swap. For an industry whose bread and butter were mostly men, young men, old men, white men, non-white men, Hollywood decided it was smart to go to war on all of them, and they wonder why movies are bombing at the box office. This satirical video by the woke critic pretends to be praising Kathleen Kennedy, who took control of the Star Wars franchise and put a girl in the lead, a place that used to belong to the Luke Skywalker character. No one thought much of it at the time, or if they did, they said nothing. Hollywood was meeting the growing cries for change. But over time it led to a dilution of the many brands Disney now controls, Marvel, Fox Studios, and Star Wars. Here is the woke critic's tongue-in-cheek take on Indiana Jones. After burying Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and neutering the Mandalorian and Obi-Wan, there was just one last straight white male standing. Dr. Indiana Jones, the most iconic adventurer in the history of the movie business. 
A cross between James Bond and David Attenborough, the high-octane archaeologist, was adored by beautiful women, hated by evil men, and dynamite at the box office. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were in charge of the first four films, with Kathleen as an associate and producer. Now, with Steven and George out of the way, she would have the final say on indie. In the Dial of Destiny, the archaic adventurer is 80 years old, and following the Kennedy blueprint, he's a miserable old bastard who has lost everything. His marriage broken down, his son six feet under, all his students hate him, and his globe-trotting days long gone. The perfect foil for the perfect woman, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She swoops in to steal his thunder, steal his MacGuffin, and steal his movie. A genius archaeologist and fearless adventurer, Helena Shaw has no weakness and no journey. She is Indiana Jones' answer to Ray. She has her own agenda, and they end up going on, on an adventure, but not the one that she, she proffered to him in the beginning. This time, Kathleen doesn't kill Indy, she simply takes away all the qualities that made him so iconic and gives them Sorry. to Phoebe. The fifth and final Indiana Jones was hailed by progressive critics and loved by rotten audiences. As of July 3rd, 2023, it has taken home $142 million at the box office. A weak opening, but an incredible success and wonderful triumph for social justice and Kathleen Kennedy. The phenomenon of the gender swap is what Critical Drinker calls the strong female character. A phenomenon known only as the strong female character. Honestly, it seems like just about every character without a Y chromosome these days automatically has to be labelled as strong. It's one of the first words to come tumbling out of the mouths of the writers, actors, directors and marketing departments whenever they're asked about it, and it's been overused to the point where it's become completely and totally meaningless. Just another expected buzzword in the endless corporate approved word salad that has to be sprinkled on every new project now. Is it any wonder that we have an ongoing crisis of not just men, but masculinity? I was an early woke blogger who constantly criticized the film industry and the Oscars for being so white and so male for so long. I know I am responsible for the house that woke built, just as I'm partly responsible for an America at the hands of a cult. But you have to start somewhere. Descent isn't easy, but if you love movies like I do, you can't stay silent and watch it all disappear. In a Barbie world, the upcoming Barbie movie might just be the crowning achievement of the decade-long quest to transform Hollywood from a white male patriarchy to a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive utopia. Barbie has it all, so they can get away with centering a whole new franchise on a pretty thin white blonde. This summer, it's time for Barbie me? to discover the real world. No, 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 no. Watch me. I started to get all these weirdo feelings. It's anxiety. I have it too. You're going to start getting sad and mushy and complicated. She's not dead. She's just having an existential crisis. What about Ken? I'm just a dude. Ken isn't something we're worried about. What? Barbie, July 21st, rated PG-13. 
transgender female, a plus-size female, women of color. Is this heaven? For podcast listeners, a picture of Sharon Rooney as the plus-size Barbie. You are Barbie. I am Barbie. We all are Barbie. For podcast listeners, all the Barbies. They dare you to object so they can call you a bigot. They're hoping for controversy to erupt, like China banning the film because of its transgender and gay representation. Then Barbie can also be an important movie, too. Now Barbie is changing the world. But is it really? Is it representation that matters, or is it selling toys? Isn't this just another way to inject or indoctrinate the young into their way of defining this country's ideals? Identity matters more than anything else, but especially as a way to sell stuff and not feel guilty about it. It's a mash of identity and narcissism, euphoria and commercialism, fame and inclusivity, a kind of wow, kind of now pink cloud of cotton candy Kardashian empire building. You can have it all, as long as you pay the piper. There's a word for it. Propaganda. State propaganda disguised as entertainment. Something miraculous happened in China in 2020. One of their films overtook the global box office for the first time. It was pure propaganda, but also profitable. Over the past decade, China has fortified its empire by building a film industry that directly competes with ours. When American theaters emptied out in 2020, Chinese movies dominated. The 800, along with My People, My Homeland, A Little Red Flower, and The Legend of Deification all topped the charts. For podcast listeners, a box office chart with The 800 making 461 million, My People, My Homeland with 422 million, The Legend of Deification, 240 million, and A Little Red Flower, 216 million. By 2021, as the audience Hollywood mostly cared about remained too afraid to return to theaters, China again dominated in ways it never had before, with the Battle of Lake Chang'an, Hai Mom, and Detective Chinatown. For podcast listeners, a box office chart, the Battle at Lake Chang'an making 900 million, Hai Mom, 822 million, and Detective Chinatown 3, 686 million. China's box office began to dip in 2022 when COVID came roaring back, yet they still managed to launch a film into the top of the global charts, Watergate Bridge. Podcast listeners, a box office chart with Watergate Bridge at 626 million. Our American press has no problem calling out propaganda in China. Rather, it's one of the few ways they can criticize China without being accused of xenophobia. For podcast listeners, an image that says, Propaganda films take over China's box office as CCP Centennial approaches from Axios. But it's worth putting it all together and measuring the two countries against each other. Chinese propaganda movies strengthen the whole country, where woke propaganda weakens ours. Chinese movies unite the country in common purpose. Woke movies divide us into categories and condition us to hate our history, our traditional role models, our communities, and the nuclear family. American movies now are the realization of the very thing Joseph McCarthy worried about during the Red Scare. Ideology that, bit by bit, pretends to be art while chipping away at the foundation that defines this country and makes us a strong nation. Meanwhile, over in China, their overt propaganda isn't even pretending to be art. The last great year for cinema was 2019 on the eve of the collapse. 
So many great movies were on offer that year and were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joker, 1917, The Irishman. And yet even amid those successes, the Academy gave their Best Picture prize to a movie from South Korea called Parasite. It's a great movie, but not awarding a homegrown product in a year like that one shows how little regard Hollywood had for itself before the hammer came down. It's no wonder they were so willing to throw it all away. And that is partly how Hollywood destroyed itself. They stopped believing in their audiences, in their country, and in themselves. I grew up a movie kid, and knowing that Mission Impossible 7 and Oppenheimer are coming out this summer, not to mention other movies down the line, like David Fincher's The Killer and Alexander Payne's The Holdover, Ridley Scott's Napoleon and Michael Mann's Ferrari, make me feel like, baby, we're back. I haven't seen any of these movies yet, but I have to hope, like Red at the end of one of the greatest films of all time, The Shawshank Redemption. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I grew up going to the movies. My mom would stuff us into her VW Bug and motor us down the mountain to the Van Nuys Drive-In. On the hottest of summer nights, we would lay out a blanket on the asphalt and watch whatever was playing under the stars. Even the worst movies back then were better than almost anything they make now. All through my life, I lived in movies and in movie theaters. The minute you walk inside, consumed by darkness, you are transported to stories worked out well in advance. They knew where they were going, and they were inviting you along for the ride. Great movies can't survive from inside a suffocating utopia. If Hollywood doesn't know its audience anymore, it's time to start getting to know them. For their survival, and for ours. Or as Red would say, get busy living, or get busy dying. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. Well, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, I know where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna pick my baby up and take her to the picture show. Everybody in the neighborhood is dressing up to be there too. Cast out a Hollywood And the popcorn from the candy stand Makes it all seem twice as good There's always lots of pretty girls With figures they don't try to hide But the 
mare to the girl sitting by my side. Saturday night at the movies, who cares what picture you see? When you're with your baby, last row in the balcony. See you. 